Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to Brooklands. Um, just let Gareth uh, take a couple of pictures and then we'll formally start. This is the third in our series of lunchtime talks and judging from the numbers that we've got today I think we'll be doing it uh, for quite a few more times during the year. So thank you for your attendance today. Um, a couple of people I want to introduce firstly is Helen Mills, and Helen's going to speak first. Um, she's a very good friend to the museum and to me personally, because she's always telling me off if I do things wrong, um, but she's allowed to do that. Now, one thing you should never do is mention a lady's age. So you're not going to. But I'm going to, okay, because I think Helen is a remarkable lady, and she will be 93 next month. After lunch, we're going to hear from Alison Hills and Melody Foreman um, about books and poetry, so we're going to leave that till after lunch. Before that, I'm going to ask Helen to transport us back to some called the dark days of 1941 um, and to talk us through the job that she did during the first, during the first one, during the second one. So, <laughs> Nearly got it right, there's only been two. It's the age. So you're going to tell me off already. So. Yeah. Anyway, Helen Mills. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Talk across it. Are you hearing me? Yes. Are you all right back there? Can you hear me? Uh, if you can't, wave your hand or wave your order. That's paper. as loud as it goes. Okay, because sometimes I'm going to have to put this down and, and show something. Well, First of all, I was uh, born in Walton-on-Thames, so I've lived here all my life, uh, apart from the four years of the war. And I was a member of the Junior Air Corps, which then morphed into the ATO, and you're going to hear about that later, the Airport Transport Auxiliary. And we learned about, we did drill with an ex-Sergeant Major of the First World War, and we learned about aircraft and so on. Now, I was uh, at school in Wimbledon, and at that particular time, we were not doing too, I mean, we could well have been invaded and overrun, and that would have been it. And I thought I needed to do my little bit, and so I joined the WAF. I don't think my father wanted me to do that. He'd been in the First World War, but he didn't physically stop me. So I joined up in London, at, uh, in Kingsway, and from Kingsway we were entrained to Bridge North to get kitted up, which is where the RAF and the WAF were, uh, uniforms were handed out and all our kit. Now this is the original skirt, right? It shrunk a bit. <laughs> well, we all know that, don't we? We all know that. Right. There were two, two uniforms that we were... This is, we were allowed to keep one. One was returned. And this was a better one. In fact, the material of this is rather nice. But this is the original skirt. The only problem was that it has a pocket. Now, if you put anything more in that pocket than the handkerchief, it didn't make much good for your figure. Anyway, that's the original skirt. 
And just the... Okay. Yep. And this is my wife hat. <laughs> now, this is not the hat that I was issued with because that had to be given back. But this is a Moss Bros hat. And a number of us went up to Moss Bros and you're allowed to buy it there. I think 10 bob bought week's wages, bought you a hat. And it's still got its label in Moss Brothers. Bros. And this went with me all through the war. The badge, we never had a WAF badge, was the RAF badge. They, did, they didn't, and of course later became the WRAF. But this badge, is an RAF badge, but it went through, that's why it looks a bit battered, a bit like me really, battered. <laughs> and this is the original, thank you Steve, isn't he wonderful? Good job of me, <laughs> This is the original uh, shoulder bag. You do realise, don't you, there were no shoulder bags before the war. We had clutch bags and handbags, but shoulder bags came in, and this is the issue one. It's, uh, you wouldn't call it an organiser bag because there's really nothing there to organise, just a, a flap. But gentlemen, you might like to see these. They are silk stockings. <laughs> now, they've been darned to extinction, these, because silk stockings, th these are not nylons, these are silk. And if I had done these talks once and I say, of course, you don't know what darning is, and of course young people have no idea how you darn. No you know, you get a, a wooden thing and you put it in. Anyway, but those are the silks. So we were all kitted up, and off we went to Morecambe for our three weeks training. And that was Morecambe, where all the RAF were billeted on ex-ladies, um, uh, you know, um, landladies. And we had a lovely landlady. Uh, she, she was a real Lancastrian. She had hennaed hair. Now, you wouldn't look at it twice at somebody with orange hair now, would you? But to us, my goodness, why have you got orange hair? But she was a really lovely lady. And we had lectures, and we did our drills, and we marched up and down the Morecambe um, parade. And after three weeks, we passed out. Uh, we had our passing out parade. And then we were posted. Now I think we need some slides there. I've got your You've got, because I can't see what, what's up there, can I? It's the one with your special you? duties when you applied for the job. Right. Okay, well I think I'm gonna have, okay. Can you all read that? Or do you want yeah. it read out to you? Read can it you, out, Can you read it out of the, the mm. you should do. Right. You I, want me to read it out? Yeah, go on, you read it out. Okay, <laughs> okay. special duties, group, Age limit 17 and a half to 35, requirements of the highest standard possible character and integrity, able to assume responsibility under active war conditions, mentally alert, accurate, cool and observant, delf-fingered and clear diction, intelligent, calmness and quickness of uptake more important than higher educational qualifications. Russia must be shorthand typist, employment in tracking enemy aircraft, raiding British Isles. Training given, special commissions available. Thank you, Steve. Okay. Okay, 
So that, I, I already had the, the WAF book of the WAF, and that was the trade I, I picked. And so I was posted to Hornchurch, the, one of the RAF uh, stations in 11 Group. Right, next. Sorry. It's you. I'm not going to describe this one, OK? <laughs> oh, right. I can't see these, you see. That's All right. Don't worry. Oh, right. OK. Well... You sit there and everyone can see you. Right, now, this was, you went into a, um, a booth, like going apart, having a passport photograph taken, and you got 48 pictures. Some of them are here. And the one my mum chose was this one. There it is. And it's here. And what you say now is you haven't changed a bit. You haven't changed a bit, Helen. <laughs> right, okay. Next one. Thank you. Right, now this is the sector of 11 Group. There were groups for Fighter Command. The bomber had different, different numbers, but Fighter Command were 10, 11, 12, 13. 11 is the one that we're in now, of course. Southeast of England have got most of the action. 12 is just above it. Uh, 10 in the West Country, and 13 was all the rest, North Scotland and so on. And in these groups, the, the groups had a headquarters. The one for 11 was Uxbridge. For 12 was Duxford. And there were all these uh, Air Force stations Biggin Hill, Hornchurch, Kenley, North Weald, North Holt, still a, as an, um, an airfield, North Holt, Tangmere, and there were of course various subsidiaries. Even Weybridge is marked on there because of course Weybridge was important, obviously, because of Brooklands. And, but there are other subsidiary ones like Manston and Lim, where an aircraft might be able to land if it was damaged and then go back to its own airfield. And those were the fighter stations. And they each had an ops room. And the way in which the plotting was done, I will tell you about in a minute. Okay. The, the gray bit there is the AA battery, the anti-aircraft battery was in that gray area around London. Thank you. Yeah. And of course you see the, uh, the Nazis have taken over all the airfields in the Netherlands, France. Belgium. Now, that's not desperately clear, but that's how it all worked. You've got Fighter Command at Stanmore, and that was Fighter Command for the, all the groups. Then you've got the different groups, 10, 11, 12, 13, and they controlled the fighter stations. I've just mentioned them all, Biggin Hill, Hornchurch, and so on. And then they, in their turn, were controlling the aircraft who were going to meet the enemy. Uh, by means of their, of our radar. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. If you'd like to come and take a seat instead of having to stand at the back, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Right. Now, <coughs> here you've got the blip, the sort of blips that the, they used to see from the radar stations. Those, those stations were around the coast, Rye, all around there, and they were very vulnerable. They were linked to the uh, masts, 
the radar. And the radar, of course, it still works. All right? Yeah. Okay? The radar, of course, it's, it's still in operation. I mean, it's nothing new under the sun. Bats used it for years before anybody else thought about it. And they gave out clicks, and the clicks came back, and the bats know not to fly into anything. That's how the radar really worked. And those blips went on from these chain home high and chain home low. And there are, I think there is still one extant. But it, it was something the Germans knew about it. They had their own as well. But they didn't really realize how we could use it and how we could be uh, uh, on top of the aircraft coming in. They, they dropped foil, they, knew that they bombed the, the centers right on the coast. And if that one went, one went out of action, the others were still working. And by the next day, it was all mended again. Okay. okay, yeah. We're getting the hang of this now, we're okay. <laughs> okay, well, there, there is one of the towers. Don't ask me where that is. Some of these are from the Imperial War Museum pictures, and a very kind gentleman, Peter Allen, who does the car drives around here, put them on a PowerPoint for me. And there they are, looking at what they're seeing, the blips on the, on the screen, which are converted into plots. Now that was done at Stanmore. All these little blips, blip, 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 went through to Stanmore. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Now that is Stanmore, and <coughs> here are the plotters there, and the uh, aircraft uh, controllers up at the top there. Now I have an issue always with these photographs. Could you see them all around there with their rods in their hands, plotting on the table? Impossible. Because if you've got all that number of people, you're going to clash those rods together. And what I reckon they did, and I can't prove it, is it was a dull day, no flying. We'll have some photographs, you know. Right, Mick, get, get the photographer down and we'll make some photographs. You all line up there. It doesn't work because it couldn't do it. If you're let me put this down. I'm sorry, the mobility is not as what it was. That's what it was. Um, if you are plotting and you've got you've got plots coming through earphones, which is what you have, and you're moving around and you're putting them on the map, you can't move against somebody there because you'll get tangled up a in the wire and b with with the plotting rod. So you couldn't do it, especially you couldn't do it with what was called radio direction RDF, when you're plotting on the sea from the aircraft coming in from the coast. Okay. Alright. Yep. I'm sorry about this putting it down and put it down to age. <laughs> <laughs> right, so here is a picture of um, ladies plotting. Now those are the plotting rods that we used. They were magnetic. And this is a picture, obviously they've expunged everything from the map. The plotting rods that when I started in the 1942 were metal. Now, I would love to have taken one with me because I have got some bits and pieces we're allowed to take from Hornchurch. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. I, we were allowed to take artifacts. But I couldn't get a plotting rod into my kit bag. It was too long. 
it wouldn't fit. I would have loved to have taken one. When, uh, if you go, ever go to Uxbridge um, bunker, the Battle of Britain bunker, they've only got a couple there. Where did they all go? Because there were thousands of them all around every, uh, every plotting, every um, operations room. I don't know what they did with them. Maybe they put them down old mines or something. I know they did a lot of stuff. They got rid of down old mine shafts. So if you ever come across an old mine shaft, you never know. <laughs> uh, I hope they didn't put grenades down there. Anyway, to dig I digress, sorry, plotting rod. Now, those rods, you can see the little box at the end that had a magnet. And what happened was, you had your rod there, and you had a, ha you had a handle, and you depress the handle, and you put the plot, the colored plot, onto the magnet at the end. You let go of the handle, the magnet went back into its box, and down went the plot. And I'll tell you how that, uh, how we did the plots in a minute. But you see there, those are the magnetic rods that they used. Of course, there's nothing on the map. The little boxes are where there are lots of indicators of all the numbers of the uh, aircraft. Yeah, okay. What was the one before that? That was just the continuation of the map of the sectors. Oh, right, okay. Right, now here you've got a clock. This is very good. One of my exercises is to do this, go up and down. <laughs> my physio says I've got to do that. Now, this clock is very important. Every, every ops room had this clock in three colours. And the plotting went in different colours for the different five minutes. So you've got red, yellow and blue. Now when it was a red five minutes, you put down red arrows. When it was blue, you put down blue. When it was yellow, you put down yellow. Have I got them in sequence? Yeah. Yes. Oh good. But when you put the yellow down, you took off the red. So there were only ever two colours, so you've only got two, five, two, ten minutes intervals. Because of course, aircraft move, don't they? And the plots moved. But if there was a rogue one of the wrong colour, then the controller wanted to know why. And if you had missed it, well, God help you. But anyway, you, you don't know, it might have been shot down. You don't know why that, that plot had disappeared. But that's how it went all through the, the 12, the, um, the whole um, 60 minutes, five minutes each car. Now every clock was like that in every ops room. I once went to Dover Castle and there was a, a guide there telling us all about, uh, you know, the, the, they have war rooms down there. And of course this clock was so and so and so and so and I said, excuse me, no, you're wrong. It wasn't for that at all. But he didn't know, he, he was just giving the information. Right, so you, you've got plots. So, next, right, next one. Now, this is how the plots worked. I think I've got, which I wish I could see these. Right. Okay. Yeah, thank you. You've got a plot, you've got earphones on and you're plugged into a jack under the table and come through from Stanmore, the plots. Northeast, W for, uh, V for Victor, 2787-2787, hostile 124. Northwest, V for Victor, 5848, 5848, hostile 135. 
And of course, they were coming in over the coast. They were pretty obviously going to be hostile. They were marked X until we knew they were hostile, and then they were marked H. Like wasps, they were yellow and black, and the friendlies were red and white. So, but we also had all the friendlies and the bombers and so on. Everything was went on that that um, map was coming in. But of course, coming in a raid was obviously going to be coming in, and it was going to be a raid. And that is taken from the Battle of Britain film, actually. And uh, as you can see, there's Hornchurch just at the top there. Hostile 21, three, uh, 30,000 feet, 50 plus aircraft at 30,000 feet. And that was the information went on to these indicators. And there's one up here you can see. Don't you want to hold it up, Steve? That's um, right. If you, if Which you, one is it, Helen? The, the metal one. Oh, right, OK. Exhibit A. That's what we used in Hornchurch. And uh, that's what it, it had on it. Now, later on, in, in the Battle of Britain, they had these indicators. That was the Hornchurch one. They went onto the metal rods with magnets. You couldn't pick that up with a magnet. It's no, far, it is heavy, actually. Far too heavy. So we went on to little uh, metal tin ones, and then from the tin ones, they just had a number, and the information was put up on the tote. Right. Okay, now there you see the sort of thing that we used. Plots. The, the one on the left, which is HHR, is the, the tin ones. You could pick that up easily very light with a magnet. Uh, on the right here, X and H, I'll tell you about in a second. Okay? Yep. Okay. Yep. Right, now there we've got plotters plotting on the land. Now when the aircraft got to the coast, the radar didn't work. It only worked outwards onto the sea. Of course now radar works everywhere. But they had to work with the ROC, the Royal Observer Corps. And those are the, the girls up there are plotting in the Observer Corps sectors, Watford, Colchester, and so on. And those plots were visual plots from the tops of warehouses, church towers, anything where they could observe. From, and they weren't, they weren't disbanded until the 1990s. And they were very vulnerable again because they were on these high buildings. You never know, they might have got a bomb on them. But their visual uh, plots took over from the radar ones that we had done with the radar up to the coast. And there they are plotting them up there. Again, that's taken from the Battle of Britain film. No, not that one. That's when I took a group down there to the Oxford. And you can see what they used, that brown thing there, that croupier stick was what they used in the Battle of Britain. They didn't push, they didn't do metal arrows. They had little plastic arrows that they pushed around. If you can think of how to put Viva Victor 2717, 2717, hostile 148, and put the arrow on, and then you've got another one on top of that somewhere else, I take my hat off them for, for pushing them around on little plastic arrows, because getting them right it was easy with a magnet, but getting them right with a, with a brown croupier stick must have been hell. 
<laughs> well, there's me with, with a mock-up of a, of a plotter, and behind her head is a photograph of Keith Park, who was the controller of the Leaven Group during the Battle of Britain, a New Zealander. And you see there, Tangmere, that's a state of the aircraft of Tangmere. Thank you. Now that is, again, I think, taken during a bad day. You know, bad, a bad hair day, a bad weather day. And the fellow there with his three stripes was Stanley, and he was still there when I was on duty. But that was taken a long time before. But they, they wouldn't have been all land lined up there. You'd have had one person on the RDF, no one else. You had to be there to be able to walk up and down the map and put the right plots on. Thank you. Again, and that is the original. It was built, this, uh, the Uxbridge was called the Hole, we called it the Hole. It's called the Battle of Betton Bunker. And it's still there and you can go and visit. Has anybody ever been? Usually there's somebody in the audience has been. No? Well, 11 group, you can go, you can ring up and Google the Battle of Britain Bunker. You can get two YouTubes of, you know, people who've been down there. There are, it's 60 feet underground and there are 76 concrete steps. And you've got to be able to get down and get up again. I couldn't do it now, but I have been down several times. And the, can you go back, please? Go back, oh, and there they made it in Molen, where they dug this big hole and put it in in the late 1930s. They didn't know what they were doing, and it was still there, and it is still there. I mean, short of dropping a hydrogen bomber, you won't, you won't shift it. But in order to go visit, you've got to be fit. Because not only have you got to get down there, you've got to get up again. Okay, thank you. And this is the tote. So when you've only got a little met metal um, tin thing which says hostile 126, what, what, how many aircraft, what the height are they flying? Now that, all that information went to this lady here, or anyone who was plotting that, and that went up on these louves, and you looked up, the controller could look up at the louves. We're right behind the scenes now, and those, it, that information will be up there, hostile 127. 30 plus aircraft flying at 30,000 feet. And it was a hot job and you were lonely because that, you, you got the plots, but you hadn't anybody, you know, say hello to. I probably was somebody who would take over. Yes, thank you. And here we are again. Those are the B and H, bomber, hostile, unknown X, and the plots. Just okay. to remind you what they were. Yes, sir? Sorry, somebody else a question? Oh, no. Thank you. Oh, well, you all know what these are, aren't they? Come on. Come on. Well, if you don't know, right? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Now, there we've got two very important people Hugh Downing and Keith Park. Keith Park was a New Zealander great pilot, and he was head uh, controller of 11 Group. The man on the left, Hugh Dowding, was at Stanmore, and he was the head of fighter command. He was a, an experienced pilot. He knew all about 
all about um, intercepting and so on. And he was a great man, but he wasn't a charismatic figure. He was a spiritualist, and some people didn't like him. Uh, he fought like a tiger for his pilots, and he knew what tactics were all about. And it was he and Keith Park who won the Battle of Britain. At the end of the Battle of Britain, he and Keith were both sidelined, and he was put out to grass. He'd won the Battle of Britain, he got no honours. It wasn't until after the war that he got any honour at all. Neither did Keith. And he had a letter from, he had a, new from, um, a memo from Churchill who said, I want fighters, uh, squadrons to go over to France to help with the, the French. And he said, no, I'm not sending anybody over there. If we send them over there, the planes will be destroyed and lost. The pilots, which we, we cannot afford to let experienced pilots go over there. And I'm not going to get, send them over. And there is a copy of a letter there that he sent to Churchill. Now, you didn't do that sort of thing to Churchill, really. But he didn't send them, and he wasn't going to. And he was right, because they would have all gone. And we needed them. We needed them in the UK. And I think <coughs> one of the reasons he was sidelined at the end of the Battle of Britain was that he didn't really fit in with the uh, RAF politics and Churchill. But I can't prove that. But I know he was sidelined. When they made the film Battle of Britain, which was very authentically made by pilots who'd actually been there, they used the Spanish planes actually. When they made the film, they got Downing over, and he was in a wheelchair then. He was sitting in his wheelchair, and his part was being played by Laurence Olivier. And Laurence Olivier was sitting there doing his, his if you've ever seen the Battle of Britain film, you'll, you'll see him in it, uh, doing his speeches from behind a chair, and there was Dowding in a wheelchair sitting in front of him. Now, can you imagine any actor having to do that? Well, he did his speech, and then they looked at Dowding, and Dowding was head, head, head bent in his wheelchair. Oh, we've done it wrong, it's all wrong, oh dear, oh dear, it's all wrong. It was because he was crying. He got it right. Okay, that's the entrance to the, the hole, the bunker, and that's where you go down now. <coughs> when we were there, it was covered with huts, and there are the first lot of steps, as you can see. They're quite extensive, aren't they? And after a night duty climbing up, uh, 76 steps is not very funny, but a lot of people made it. Churchill made it. The king went down there and up again. As I said, there is still no lift, but you can go and visit. You can visit as a, just as a group, or you can visit and join other groups. But of course, you can't just go into a museum as a museum because you, you have to be counted in and out. You wouldn't want to be shut down there, would you? 60 feet underground all night. And the air conditioning that they put in in 1938 is still working. Do you think air conditioning they put in now will be still working? Yeah. Thank you. Right, those are the, um, uh, the huts, the, the houses, which were the airmen's marry quarters that were taken over by the WAF. And uh, that, that one there on the right is the one I was in, the very end one. We had three people in the downstairs room with a Baxi boiler, 
three people upstairs and then a small two in another room. Round the back of that of that those buildings was a wonderful bathtub where you could get gorgeous hot water, but you had to walk from the house to get to it. And then they were taken over by um, RAF and they've all been demolished now because Uxbridge, apart from the bunker, has been sold off. Thank you. And there we are outside the back there. Diana always found a cat. And I'm there. There's Betty, Diana, uh, another Betty, and me. Thank you. And again, another lot. At the back behind us there is the Hillingdon Hospital, which is where the um, Douglas Bader was at one time. Uh, Douglas Bader, all round you find plaques to him and Best bust to Douglas Baker. He was a bastard. <laughs> I don't mean physically a bastard, but he was not a nice man. His grand crew hated him. He didn't think of anybody over a flight lieutenant was anything. Sergeant pilots, who were absolutely fabulous, no way, didn't like them at all. Thank you very much. And he was not a nice man to know. He had no business to have this accident because he was just fooling about. And yes, I. We had courage to be able to walk on, on Duke Thesis Dakes, but he was not a man anybody really liked. And I'm sorry if anybody thinks that they, they did, but I've spoken to people who, one of his ground crew, were very vociferous about him. Thank you. Then when VE uh, Day came, of course, we were no longer needed, and many of us were posted. I went to Gloucester where we looked after the RAF records. And there we, there we are again. That's me and, I don't know, Alice, that's Alice. That's my, um, what do you call the thing? Service and release book. There it is. There's a, in there, there's a railway warrant for recall. Nobody's recalled me yet. <laughs> <laughs> and in there was my, I used this for my, uh, can you read that out? I can't read it from here. You can't Given your it. age away though there, but. Uh, Corporal Rod has, oh God, wait a minute. With, with this. Come mm, on, where is I it? I can't read it. Just read it out there. I'll read it out of here. I used this when I went for my first teaching job as a reference. Corporal Rod. During her service with this section, this is in Gloucester, Corporal Rod has proved herself a superior NCO. It's uh, her personal fastidiousness has been reflected in all her work and all duties allotted to have been carried out in a willing and efficient manner. I didn't know him that much. <laughs> anyway. That, I used that as a reference, which I thought was, because I didn't have any references other than Did it get you the job, though? Yes, it did, got my first job. And then I did three years teacher training. Uh, I'm a Froebel teacher. Froebel, if you don't know what it is, go and Google it. Froebel, F-R-O-E-B-E-L. And I went to Clapham Hills Training College, and we had to do, we had to learn how to do everything we lessons in, in lectures, in all sorts of things. And I was definitely on the art and craft side. But everybody had to make a book. 
And so I made the book and where's it gone? Where's the book gone? In the front, there we go. Here we go. So I made this book. Now this book is we had to make the whole thing, bind it, write it, and so on. So it's a sort of Janet and John, you know, here's an aeroplane and, and so on. And it was part of my coursework. So everything was done, we did the cover, bound it up, and that was, was the book that I made for children, primary school children. That is the memorial uh, window in Biggin Hill, and there, is, there are plotters on that, in that memorial window. Uh, this book here, The Waff in Action, I gave to my mum, and it just tells you exactly what they were all doing, and you've got it open here at what we did in the uh, Opsum. Then after uh, the v, we had VJ Day, and I have no idea what I did on VJ Day. It's a complete blur. I know we got drunk, but... Um, <coughs> no, of course we didn't get drunk. Nonsense. Well, anyway, demobbed up in Birmingham, and I want to take over my life again. And I said I wanted to be a teacher. I could have done a one-year teacher course, but I didn't think you could learn how to be a teacher in one year. But I didn't denigrate them. On the other hand, I did a three-year course at um, Clapham Stratham Hill, Frobel course, and then I've been te teaching apart from three kids gap ever since, and I retired in 1984. There is a picture of me above the Battle of Britain bunker, and that's a memorial where they've got there. Of course, that wasn't there then, obviously. I've been <coughs> to all sorts of places doing this talk. I've been to RAF Cranwell, I've been to the officers at uh, then at Uxbridge, they asked me to go, because they know that I can talk and have been down to the bunker, I, I've got invited to all sorts of places. RAF Cranwell was very interesting. I went to Gibraltar with my daughter and we had a fabulous time. You see, the RAF have only got one battle on her and that's the Battle of Britain. And so you normally, mid-September, they do some type of do when they ask somebody to speak. And I, was, I went to Gibraltar. And there is a book somewhere around of photographs, which please pass it around and have a look at it. And you're welcome to look at, look at this one as well. Um, oh, don't get your lunch on it, will you? Please. Uh, that was a sunset ceremony when they closed it, closed Uxbridge down, which was fascinating. I've been to lots of ceremonies at Uxbridge. Thank you. That is it. That's it. That is it. Thank you, Helen. Incredible recall of those any days, I'm sure you agree with me. The thing that Helen didn't mention that she was a teacher at the school that I attended. Luckily for her, I'd left by that stage. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some questions for Helen after lunch, if we can hold on. I'm still here. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, lunch okay. is served. Come and have a look, too, at when you've got a minute.